Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on the Twitters at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan, at Adam Vingan. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everybody. Sorry we're a couple of days late. We just looked at the schedule, and we thought, you know, let's just wait till both games happen on Wednesday and Thursday. We'll put out a pod on Friday morning. So we are recording this after the shootout loss to Columbus and the road loss, close loss to the Washington Capitals and angry-faced Peter LaViolette. Uh, it took us a long time to get angry face Peter Peter Laviolette on uh, on the screen, but 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 they did it uh, late second period. Um, we are going to talk about a lot of things today on the show. Of course, new protocols, how it affects the Predators, what fans need to know about those protocols. I, I you know we talk a lot, Adam, about um, the, the Zoom world and access and the job you have to do reporting on these teams and and reporters in general and how access has been difficult. I do think John Hines offers us um, some, I think people need to appreciate what John Hines offers in that setting. We have a larger conversation later on in the show about sort of Nashville sports fans ability to seek out actively find grievance in every corner of the internet and every corner of the world. So we'll, we'll discuss if Predators fans and Titans fans, are they the same? Do Predators fans do the same things that Titans fans do? We'll get into that. Of course, a big week coming up and, and Hey, uh, a, a winter classic that could be truly wintry um, as it pertains to uh, some hockey coming up in Minnesota over the weekend. However, Adam, before we do that, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers, where they, where they will not pour a cooler full of watered down mayo on your head. Or hit you in the head with the cooler. Uh, put Shane Beamer into concussion protocol. They like hit the guy in the head before the mayo actually dumped out. We can have a larger conversation during the ad about the things that college coaches get poured on their heads during bowl games. Yes, we can. Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. And we got some drink specials to tell you about a little bit later on as well because they've got your New Year's Eve and your New Year's Day covered. So if you're listening on Friday or Saturday, they've got you covered. There's no reason to go downtown. Go to West End. It will be an absolute mess on Friday evening. So if you're listening to this right away, we love you and appreciate it. Share the show. Rate, review, subscribe. But... Also, go to Jasper's because the parking is free and they've got some great specials for you going on for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. All those bowl games and the Preds game against Chicago, of course, on Saturday as well as the stadium uh, winter classic. Excuse me. I get those confused. Uh, all right, Adam, let's start with just the, the two games and the, and the break. 12 days of no hockey. Hottest team in the NHL. One point out of first place. Uh, eight game winning streak. They go to Washington and and lay a complete egg in the first period. They go down 3 nothing. To their credit and to their identity, they battle all the way back, play a great second period, tie the game at three, and then it takes a goal with five minutes to go in that game. You know, again, angry face lobby, which was fun to see uh, if you're a Preds fan. And, you know, they end up losing, give up a goal late. I, I thought, number one, I thought they gave up way too many just defensive breakdowns. Like, that just felt like a team that was off for 12 days and just way too many just absolute complete breakdowns on defense, giving up too many big-time chances. Saros didn't have a chance on a few of those goals. And then they come back, and they have a lead against Columbus in the third period, back-and-forth game, but they've got the lead. And we'll talk about what John Hines had to say in just a second about that team, but they let the, the foot off the pedal, give up another goal. They come away with one point. What do you make of the one collected point? Washington, first-place team, very, very good. Columbus, not so much. And, and you had the lead, you get one point out of four. Well, certainly from a standings standpoint, it is disappointing to only collect one of four points, but you have to be impressed and encouraged uh, by the, by the um, 
the response that the Predators had to their terrible first period against the Capitals on Wednesday. I mean, that was a game that the Predators certainly did not deserve to win. And if they would have been able to win that game or to even uh, scratch out a point, it, it would have been a, a, a huge victory, even in defeat. You look at some of the fancy stats, which I have up right now at the end of the game, according to Sport Logic, the Capitals outshot the Predators in the slot 18 to 6 in that game. Uh, they had an advantage of offensive zone possession time of 8 minutes, 11 seconds to 4 minutes, 39 seconds. So pretty significant territorial advantage by the Capitals as well. I would like to point out that it, it did bring back some, uh, I wouldn't say uh, pleasant memories of, of watching a Peter <laughs> Laviolette coach team go 0 for 6 on the power play. Uh, I feel like I've seen that before many a time. Um, but when you look at the game against Columbus, you know, the Predators were dominating that game through two periods. And, I, you know, those numbers, the sport, the sport logic numbers that I was reading off, you know, were very much in the favor of the Predators after two periods. In terms of total shots, it was 26-13 in favor of Nashville. Zone time was 6 minutes, 21 seconds to 2 minutes, 53 seconds for the Predators. But when you look at how that game progressed from the second period to the third period, um, and, and John Hines mentioned this after the game, and we'll get to this, that they did not keep their foot on the proverbial gas pedal in the third period. Uh, they, they toned down uh, the aggressiveness um, on offense, which look, teams are susceptible to that when they're protecting a lead. Uh, but oftentimes coaches and players always talk about maintaining that aggressiveness, even when you're leading the predators were unable to do that. Uh, the blue jackets had a significant advantage in pretty much every offensive metric in the third period, which you would expect because they were trying to tie the game. Um, but you know, well, I don't want to give too much away from what John had to say because I think he, I think he um, explained yeah, yeah, it yeah. very well. But ultimately, it, if not for that first period against Washington and the third period against Columbus, you know, this this back-to-back -back set would have looked a lot different. But all all told, I think they continued to play the way that we expect them to play, even in defeat, which is what you ultimately want that regardless if you're winning the game or losing the game, you play the same way yeah. give or take, you know, some lapses as we just discussed. Yes. The, the identity is still there. Um, 13, Oh, and one now when leading after two. So that, that game against Columbus, I believe the first time they did not pick up a W 12 and Oh, still when leading after, after one. So again, they're very good. And I feel like they've done this a lot with the, the way the Columbus game played out where they dominate the shots and time of possession or, or, you know, pace of play, whatever you want to call it, they sort of control the, the ice is tilted a little bit. First period, second period. And then the third period, they're giving up like 17 shots and they get like four. I think, I feel like we've seen that a lot this year. They still are winning those, some of those games, right? Cause Soros has bailed them out of a few of those. Um, and I thought David Riddich was fine. I don't think there was anything spectacular there, but I, you know, again, I think the defense could be tightened up. Some of that of course, is you do not have, your captain and best player, Roman Yossi. You do not have one of your top defensive centermen in Colton Sissons, who takes a lot of those draws and kills a lot of penalties and a lot of those things. Tommy Novak, of course, out as well. Those three guys still on, on COVID. So maybe that's a small thing you could point to and say, look, if, if you know, do, do you feel better about a 3-2 lead in the third period when Roman Yossi and Colton Sissons are on the ice? Probably. 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Predators don't miss Roman Yossi a lot. You know, he's pretty durable. Um, so, it, you know, it's interesting to watch what the Predators look like without him. Um, oftentimes when we're having the MVP conversation, which is another one of those terrible sports things that we do, is it the best player or is it the most valuable player? <laughs> and it oftentimes, and we've seen this in, in uh, the Titans not having Derrick Henry. You know, clearly we knew how valuable Derrick Henry was to the Titans, but, you know, perhaps that was magnified when he's been out for the past several weeks. I, I, well, to your point, if you want to keep with the analogy, A.J. A. Brown did more to change the offense when he returned than maybe even Derrick Henry will because he adds a different thing to the team that Derrick Henry doesn't. They're still running the football, right? Like, so like what Roman Yossi does is no one else on the team can do. Yeah, exactly. Roman Yossi does something totally different than anybody else. And so that's where like, I actually think if you go with the AJ Brown comp and you say, look, they lost Derrick Henry, but they're still able to run the football, but they can't do anything else because they can't throw the football. But when AJ Brown's in there, they can throw the ball all over the place and it creates balance. So I think that's where, I think you're you're right about the analogy. Um, diff, slightly different player, but I think you're right. Um, uh, listen, we'll get to we'll we'll get to John Hines here in just a second because I do think there's an interesting and important conversation to have about John Hines' method of communication, which I appreciate. Um, but a couple of quick, like meaningless observations. I was looking at Alexander Ovechkin's numbers, and you know he's 274 power play goals, number one all time. He's tied. The, the Preds could have given up the the, the all time lead, which is a remarkable number for Alexander Ovechkin to do it in like 17 seasons. Um, I think he's like 19th in career points. Uh, but, but I was looking at it. The active leader in points right now is Joe Thornton at like 12 overall. He, he's, he's played like, <laughs> he's played like 25 years in the NHL. I knew he'd been around a long time, but I don't think I realized he started in 97, uh, which is incredible. And, and Ovechkin is fourth in goals scored all time. So I just think there's, when you step back and look at what Ovi's doing and you see him perform and he stands on the, the half wall on the backside of the power play and you're just terrified every time a pass goes over there and it's going to happen, right? Like inevitably on a power play, it's going to be sent to Ovechkin on the backside. I think you need to appreciate what you're watching because it's, it's pretty remarkable what, what he's accomplished in 17 seasons. Um, uh, How do you say the guy's name that scored in in the fourth shootout? Is it tech Texier? How do you say his name? Texier. Texier. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. I should, I should put the put the the uh, the, the European is it Canadian whatever I'll put the Canadian on it. Um, that was one of the slickest goals I've ever seen in the shootout. I, I think that's his thing. Of course, I, I'm not. Well, I guess you could say, you know, we saw plenty of him last season because of of the realigned right, Central right. Division. But I can't remember any shootouts between the two teams. I, I try to forget all shootouts. By do, the way, do you, I will discuss that too. Do you? I mean, listen, I. There's tons of ridiculously cool moves that, that players do, right? Like Johansson has the slow the slow down thing, and lots of people have sort of adopted that. There's lots of just brilliant dekes and backhands and five holes and spread the goalie out and move across the crease. Like there's a lot of ways to do this. That's one of the coolest. Th- I don't I don't think I've ever seen anybody do it like that. Like like I, like, I have one, to go like, back and look at it. I have to go back and look at it again a couple of times. Um, you know, to to you know really appreciate it. I think it was. I think it's Nikita Kucherov who has the who has the move where it looks like he loses the puck, but he doesn't actually. Right. Yes. I, don't know, I, I don't know what it's called or if he has a name for it, but 
Um, you know, he he has fooled plenty goal, plenty of goaltenders with that yeah. move. And and look, the I've watched a lot of hockey, Adam. I don't remember that one where it's like you take your hand off the stick and then you just sort of let the puck go. Like it, it was awesome. It was as a even as a Predators fan, you got to acknowledge that was awesome. I would also like to point out, as you said, Joe Thornton is the active leader in games played. He's played one thousand six hundred ninety eight games. Uh, his first season was 1997, 1998. So Joe Thornton has been playing longer than the Predators have been in existence. <laughs> that's, as, ins- that's insane to me. As an actual franchise. And, um, he's, and he's still 1,300 points away from Wayne Gretzky. And that that would be like 21st. Like he needs another Yari Curry. <laughs> like, like Joe Thornton plus Luke Robitaille, who's like 22nd on the list, would get you to Wayne Gretzky. That, that's what you have to do to get to Wayne Gretzky. It's just, it's just absurd looking at those numbers. And I and I had the 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 privilege of watching Alex Ovechkin, you know, through much of his early career. Um, when I moved to Washington for college was 2007, and 2007 2008 was the first season that the Ovechkin era Capitals made the playoffs. And then, of course, I covered the team from 2011 to 2015. And you don't realize how, you know, special he is um, until you've seen how he's been able to evolve his game over the past 15 plus years. And it wasn't always easy. Um, You know, there was a point where when Adam Oates was the coach where they tried to move him to the other wing, you know, Dale Hunter, who was the coach for three quarters of a season, you know, tried to make him more defensively responsible and ended up stapling his ass to the bench in late game situations. <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it definitely had its, it, you know, it's, it starts and stops, but you know, it is pretty incredible um, to see how Alex Ovechkin, even at uh, you know, an advanced age, quote unquote, um, continues to play very, very well. Um, yeah. To, to give, to give your idea about Joe Thornton. And so Thornton is 12th all time. Ovechkin is 26th all time in points. Um, Joe Thornton started in 97. Ovi started in 05. So Joe Thornton <laughs> played Joe Thornton played an entire NHL career. Eight years before Ovechkin got into the league. <laughs> Just uh, again, I don't I didn't mean this to turn into like a, a Joe Thornton appreciation podcast, but um I was just looking at those numbers. Sidney Crosby, by the way, active, um, number three on the list, 30th all time in points scored. And I think I saw I want to say it was Jeff Perlman who tweeted, like, is, is Sidney Crosby's career considered a disappointment? And I want to be like, what the hell are you talking about? And I love Jeff Perlman, who's a great writer, uh, but he's got multiple cups and he's like top 30 scorer in the history of the league. I, I think Sidney Crosby's been pretty good. Um, well, uh, Jeff, he, Jeff is uh, open about the fact that he's not a hockey fan. Um, yes, so. Yes. So that, that you have to keep that in mind as well. But, Jeff Perlman, recent guest on the Lame Stream Sports Podcast. Is that what you were about to say? Yes, excellent synergy. Thank you, Adam. Yes, um, so it was a very good episode. Thank you. Um, Je- Jeff did all the work, of course. Great storyteller. Uh, I-, I will say this. The, the, I do like the Columbus sweaters, though. I, I really enjoyed the Columbus sweaters. They're sort of vintage, retro, old school. I like it when they're simple with, like, two colors, um, and there's not too much like new nouveau chicness to them. So I, I really like the Columbus sweaters way better than their like arena football league looking uniforms that I've, they've had in the past. I actually really like that one that they, we saw on Thursday evening. So, uh, all right, that, that's it. They collect one point. They're in third place in the division. Big games coming up this week. So we'll we'll move on here. Um, we'll get to code of protocols and to John Hines here. So let, let's talk John Hines. Let's first here was him. Uh, sort of explaining the the what happened in the third period against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Thursday night. 
Oh, I mean, I, I, I thought we played a really good game. Um, I, I, the biggest lesson out of it is I just thought, you know, in the third, uh, we didn't play as aggressive as we needed to uh, with the lead. And they wound up they wound up tying it on a on a on a mistake. But I think if you look at the you know the game and the style of game and opportunities, shots, shot attempts, chances for zone time, possession time, you know we did a lot of really good things. I commend our guys' effort, intensity, and a back to back. I think if you just take that little chunk of the of uh, there's some really good learning lessons. I think just early in the third period before they tied it, where we can do some good things. Other than that, I I really liked our team, loved our competitiveness, liked the way we played. Um, so we'll go from there. So I think, Adam, as we, t- we discussed, he, he did an excellent job of describing what took place. And the reason I wanted to play that and sort of have this quick conversation about John Hines is, especially if you listen to Lamestream, you know that we as reporters and people in the media complain a lot about how Zoom and COVID has restricted access. Everyone's writing off the same exact quote. Everyone's writing off the same exact interview with the same exact person because the teams have controlled access. There's no more interpersonal relationships and and, and sort of networking that happens, which you have to have if you're a good reporter to sort of tell good stories. And I, I will say this, because football coaches, especially college and the SEC, they speak in just back-to-back-to-back cliches. Mike Vrabel will tell you what went wrong in a Titans game. Like, we turned the ball over too many times. Like, he'll, he'll sort of be blunt about it and very short with you. He's not going to coach better, got to play better. Right, like, he's not going to expand on it. It's also f- full of cliches. I appreciate, and I think this was the case since the day John Hines took the job. This is just who John Hines is. I appreciate that he will point out, discuss, and explain what is going on with his team, good or bad or otherwise. I think that's very rare, and I think it benefits the Preds Media Corps and the Nashville Predators fans because I think John Hines does a better job in the Zoom in a Zoom world where everything's flat and simple and. You know, there's no conversation. There's no back and forth. I think John Hines actually is a huge asset for Predators fans in his ability to talk about things in detail. Again, good or bad, he, he does an excellent job of that, in my opinion, relative to the other coaches that I've seen in, in Nashville and in the state of Tennessee and in many sports. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the perks of, of being able to, to work with John Hines is that, you know, he is excellent at um, conveying his message in a way that's easy to understand. Um, and, and he's not, and he's also not dismissive of questions that other coaches might be dismissive of. And like, I just used the example of Mike Vrabel, um, whenever, whenever the Titans lose a game and he's asked specifics about this player, that player, or this unit or that unit, got to coach better, got to play better. Well, great. Thanks, Mike. I, I really <laughs> learned something. I really learned something by listening to you. By the way, I would like to say this, um, you know, on a completely unre- a semi-related note. Um, years ago, um, my dear friend and yours probably, J.R. Lind, uh, described uh, in a story for the Nashville scene, he described Mike Vrabel as the human embodiment of a tribal tattoo. And I, and I can never unsee that, which is the mark of a great writer. So excellent job, JR. Yeah, talk, um, t- talk about human beings that can describe things well. Uh, that's yes, one of them. Yes, JR, uh, excellent. Um, but when, you know, with John, and I think this is the same thing he's had, I mean, he's had to do this with the team as well. Um, you know, he has to be able to, you know, he had to be able to, because I don't think he has to do it anymore. Um, but, you know, especially in the early portion of his coaching time in Nashville, which we're approaching two years, by the way, 
uh, there'll be two years, I believe a week from today, um, that John uh, was hired, January 7th, 2020. Um, and, and, and when you think about the, the changes that had to be made, um, a lot of the, they ha he had to be able to convey that to his team. And, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that I don't think the way that John speaks to us is that much different than the way he speaks to his players in terms of, you know, in terms I think of you get John, I think John Hines, I think John Hines is who he is. I don't think, I don't changed. think there's a, there's, I don't think there's a media version of John Hines right, right. and a inside the dressing room version of John Hines, which is interesting because, you know, you know, speaking, uh, speaking of Peter, I, I, I was, I was going to go, there are th like three different Peter Laviolettes. Right. So <laughs> exactly. Because you'll often hear about, you know, how great of a motivator Peter is and the, the types of speeches he would give in the dressing room. And, you know, the, the Capitals um, after games, a lot of teams do this and the Predators have started doing this as well, where after a game that they win, you know, they'll post a clip of the coaches you know, post-game speech or whatever in the dressing room. The Titans do that for Vrabel, like every game. Right. And, you know, what you see from John in those clips is about what you get from John when he speaks to us uh, versus Peter Laviolette, who is just, you know, it's completely different. And um, and we talked about this when, when I was on the lamestream pod, you know, a few months ago. You know, we talked about how, you know, I, I know that some coaches do not care about the way that they are perceived by the media, but it does do them a disservice to to be openly dismissive of the media or, or questions that the media asks or, um, or lie to them or 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 be deceitful. Uh, but you're just, remember, you're just not going to you're just not going to catch any breaks if you do that to the media. It's just the way right. it is. If like you pick, if you pick fights with people that buy ink by the barrel, it's not going to work for you. Like because I remember what was it sometime earlier this month, right, where Mike Vrabel was being asked a lot of questions about Zach Cunningham and stormed off the podium <laughs> right. and said, I don't need this shit or whatever. And you no, know, he doesn't care. But when when push comes to shove and the Titans struggle you know, people who might throw Mike Vrabel a lifeline aren't going to do that if he, if he treats yeah, them like yeah. that. And, you know, the thing that I appreciate about John, like I said, is that the, the John Hines that we talk to is no different than the John Hines who sits down with a player over coffee and talks about his shifts or, you know, or his game in general. Um, and, and I think that's, and that's why, when you hear John talk after the game against the Blue Jackets about, look, the identity is there. Even though we lost the game, we made a mistake. We weren't as aggressive as we needed to be in the third period. The identity is there by every statistical measure. Yeah. We deserved better. And I don't think anyone can argue with any of that. You know, it's not it's not just, you know, coach speak. Um, and, and that's what I think we've all come to appreciate about John and um, but look, the, but, you know, he, he had it. Look, I think it's amazing how just think about John Hines over the past couple of years and everything he's had, he's had to deal with. To, oh, to here you go. Here work. you go. I, I see those big water buckets you got now over your no, shoulder. I know. Carrying like, those big water buckets. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is amazing because, you know, I, spoiler, spoiler alert. You know, I'm, I'm writing about this for next week. Um, just think about. 
you know, the fact that in his first calendar year on the job, he coached 32 games total in, in one full calendar year. And the first 28 and the final four were separated by five months. And, you know, the fact that this team, the fact that we know what this team is supposed to do on a night in and night out basis, you know, it's a credit to him. It's a credit to the players, but you know, it's, it's amazing that it's already been two years. I know it's, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago just because of everything we've dealt with, but. And what's interesting in his second calendar year, he will have what 56 plus six. So he'll have 62 games plus another, like however, what, like how many, how many have they played? 30, 32. 20, 32. So he'll have, he'll have, you know, I don't know if that's more than normal in, in a regular sort of spring and fall, like separating the two seasons. Right. I mean, I'm assuming if you go deeper in the playoffs, you'll probably play a lot of games, but I mean, that that's almost a hundred games in his second calendar year because <laughs> they condensed the schedule and played so many in, in at the, in the spring of last season. So um, it, it is fascinating. Let me ask you one more thing about John Hines and how he, how he interacts on the bench. I found this interesting and I've noticed it over time, but I've never really asked you about it. So I wanted to see what you think about this. Because mm-hmm. he he does not he stays way out of the fray in the heat of the battle moments of the game. He he it's it's Dan Hynote down there leading the way on a penalty kill or you know what or or it's you know Brad Richard over here or Todd Richard excuse me um over here like you know talking speaking like, of old NHL players Brad yeah, right, right exactly um and Brad Richard's son there well, you and go. that's and and I that's why I said the name because I saw it on the the active scoring list but those two like he sits he doesn't say anything. Like I, I, I have to go back and look and see how consistently he does this. But against Columbus in the third period, he was just sort of out of the fray, sitting back and watching his guys go to work. And what I see in that moment is a coach that has done the work to take the team to the place that they need to be, and that he's just got to let the the other adults in the room do their jobs, right? Like that is that what? Because I think if if you're winning, that's what you see. If you're losing, you see a guy who's not engaged, and you know the narrative changes, and everybody says something different. But in a moment where I just thought that was interesting. And again, I have to go back and double check to see if that's sort of how he's done it the entire time. But it, it is interesting. That a lot of times during those key timeouts, you know, at the end of the game, you're, you, you look at the bench and John Hines is just sort of standing there, not talking to anybody because it looks like he's overseeing the whole thing. Like I've built all of this. I've established all of this. I've insta- installed all the culture. You guys go do your jobs. There are times where he gets fired up and I, and I really enjoy it just because, as you said, he typically doesn't do that. There was a point in the game, I believe it was against the Capitals, where he disagreed with a, he disagreed with the call. And, you know, you could see him, you know, shouting at the official that the call, I think, was fucking horseshit. If my if I <laughs> if I was reading lips correctly um, and. You know, one thing that John has learned uh, over the past couple of seasons is how to delegate more. You know, that's something that I've talked to him about in the past is um, when think about when he was in New Jersey and he was in a rebuilding. He was in a rebuilding situation and there was a constant revolving door of players because, you know, they would sign players then the team would be bad at the trade deadline. So they would trade those players and then new players would come in or younger players would come in and he was teaching and reteaching. Um, I think one thing that he has really tried to do, especially since the second half of last season is to delegate more um, for, 
uh, you know, to his coaching staff. Um, this is more behind the scenes than on the bench, but I, I think to your point, you know, he lets Dan Hynok do his thing. He lets Todd Richards do his thing. He lets Dan Lambert do his thing. And, and he's there to oversee it, you know, provide the motivation when he needs to. I don't think he wants to be overbearing. And by the way, it was fucking horseshit when he, <laughs> this was his words, when uh, I believe it was when Mark Borvietsky and Tom Wilson fought. Yeah. Um, and I think Borvietsky got hit with the instigator in a game misconduct. I think John thought yeah. that was yeah. fucking yeah. horseshit. Um, well, so- what's, it, what's interesting is having watched him practice in camps, this year in particular, because they didn't really have one last year, but this year you do. There's a lot more moments where he pulls the team over, pulls. They got the dry erase board, and he's actually coaching up a strategy or an implementation of a of a system. And and you see, like, like that's when you see him doing his work, right? Like that's what he's not. It doesn't feel like he is trying to like micromanage everything during the game. It's like I want you to have all this information and knowledge on the front end. We're going to install it all, create the identity as he talks about. And then sort of just constantly work to evolve with it, but not o- overanalyze and over, you know, do everything. Like he's not trying to install a new scheme. Like it felt like some, and I don't know if this is true with Lavi or not, but it does feel like sometimes Lavi was just like rotating people to rotate people on lines. Like, oh, let's figure out if this one works. Oh, let's see if this one works. And 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 maybe that's not fair to him. Um, but their approaches are very different. Yes, in terms yes. of how they manage personalities and how. Uh, they instruct and, and and all of those things. And, you know, what's the one thing that we know about Pierre Laviolette? And you mentioned the Capitals, a very good team this season. They were a good team last season too. Peter Laviolette, always very good at getting teams that have lost their way to find themselves again very, very quickly. Quick, very quickly, yeah. And then, you know, there is the a act, shelf life. The, the act wears thin. Um, and somebody told me that the day he was hired in Nashville. Somebody, somebody said that I respect in the hockey world was like, he, he, you guys are going to win a lot of games right away. And then the act is going to wear thin, I believe is the phrase that, that, that was used. So, uh, all right, let's move on here. Um, let's, let's, when we come back, we're going to talk predators fans and Nashville and the city Titans fans are, are, are they the same? Cause I think Titans fans actively seek out as much possible grievance on the internet as any fan base I've ever seen in my entire life. Are Preds fans the same? We'll discuss that, as well as the new protocols, uh, the outdoor games, some New Year's uh, resolutions as well. We'll do all that when we come back right here on the Gold Standard. The Gold Standard, Adam Vingan of The Athletic, Pay for Good Journalism, is brought to you by Jaspers. And this is where we're going to talk about things that are dumped on coaches' heads. We just had a very (laughs) long coaching discussion but now is time for the actual meat and potatoes. No, pu- actually, pun intended. Which, which I've seen, in fact, potatoes dumped on a coach's head in this. What about meat? Has, in, there, has there been meat dumped on not, a coach's head? I have not found any steak tartare falling out of a uh, a bucket onto a coach's head. First, can I tell people about the great specials at Jasper's? First, can I do that? Yes, you can. Five dollar champagne all day, New Year's Eve, and all day New Year's Day. So if you need some plans to get out, watch some bowl games, watch the Preds game on Saturday. They have obviously great drink specials for the Preds games, no matter what, at Jasper's. You can get um, $3 beers, $10 smash burger. But on New Year's Day, you get $5 champagne, morning, noon, and night. Uh, you don't have to battle the crazy crowds downtown. Just go to Jasper's, get yourself some bubbly, and have a great time. Great drink specials for the uh, holiday weekend out there. If you're listening to this on Friday, please be safe during amateur hour in Nashville. It is one of the 
silliest nights of the year in our city. Um, and so uh, go to Jasper's instead. It's a great place to go watch uh, watch games. Uh, you know, whatever you want to watch, they've got you covered. Great menu, great drink specials. Get yourself a gold standard cocktail as well, named after this here podcast. Now, what do you want to see? So we've seen mayonnaise dumped. We've seen potatoes dumped. French fries, which sort of just French was, fries, right? It's not like yeah. whole potatoes. No, that would that would cause c- concussion. It, it was it was like French fries, and like they just sort of like they did what French fries would do. Like they would just hit Cheez the guy, it's, right? Cheese it's. They, they would, yeah, they well, cheese it's is a little bit more interesting because it feels like a kind of like a waterfall of crackers. But the, the French fries was weird because it just sort of like it hits you in the shoulder and then it falls on the ground. Like it's not, it doesn't. French fries don't stick to you. Like mayonnaise is the, that that bowl game got more coverage because of that one skit th- than any. They bought they got more. What is it called? Earned earned media coverage, right? Yes, yeah. They got more of that than any bowl game in the entire calendar year because they were going to dump mayonnaise on somebody. So you can call it silly if you want to, but I think I call it brilliant marketing. Jasper's needs to dump like, uh, like their uh, I don't know, what, what do they need to dump? So that that like red bell pepper essence. They need to they need to be dumping that on John Hines' head. Got a gold standard cocktail. <laughs> that would be cold. Now, as someone as as someone who has stated on this podcast that I am not the biggest college football buff. The Orange Bowl is tonight, correct? Uh, yeah, the, Michigan and Georgia play on Friday evening, New Year's Eve. Yes. Do the the, uh, does the winner of the Orange Bowl get orange juice dumped on their head? Um, I don't believe in a college football playoff game because that's like a real football game. That, that I would love to have seen. Uh, you know, so Saturday is the Outback Bowl. Does the winner of that bowl game get a blooming onion dumped on their head? I actually think I have to check this for for sure, but I believe the press box is delivered. Like they deliver if like Kentucky wins, they deliver one type of thing. If the other team wins, they delivered like the blooming onion. And like media always debate like which team they're rooting for based on the food they're going to get at the end of the game. Some something like that. And I think it's it's Iowa Kentucky, right? In the Outback Bowl. So. Um, I, or maybe uh, the Outback Bowl this year is Arkansas and Arkansas, Penn State. Arkansas, Penn State. My bad. Iowa and Kentucky is the Citrus Bowl. My my fault. My apologies. I was looking at all the bowl games to see what could be dumped on coaches' heads. <laughs> um, I like. I I don't even know what Transperfect does. <laughs> They're the Music City Bowl. I don't even know what they do. Um, there's so many of them though that are just like. None of this works. Like, it, there's like, oh, you're gonna dump health insurance on somebody, or like, <laughs> the game took place in Nashville, so I think they should have poured a Gatorade cooler of regret on top of the winning team. Wow. On top of Purdue, I was gonna go with uh, spicy buffalo chicken sauce, like hot, hot spicy chicken sauce. That, yeah, talk about, if you want to burn somebody's eyes. Talking about get like, how many showers do you think you need to get the mayonnaise out of your hair? I mean, you're throwing the shirt away for sure. But like, think about the showers you would need to get the hot sauce off your body. That would be when I, when I was a kid, I, you know, I grew up in the, go to Jasper's where I'm no, where a kid can be a kid. Um, (laughs) Thanks. Chuck E. Cheese. Also, did you know that Chuck E. Cheese's full name is Charles entertainment cheese? No, but please continue on your story. We're running here on the Jasper's ad, not the Chuck E. Cheese. When I was a kid, I grew up in the Nickelodeon era, like the, the height of the Nickelodeon era and, God, did I want to be slimed? But then as I grew older, I was like, 
I don't want to be. I, can you imagine how long it's going to take to get that out? Is that uh, double? Was that double dare? Is that what that was? There was everything. Everything had slime. Yeah. Double dare. Double dare included. I wanted to be. I wanted to dive into the 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 tub at the very end of the the final round. Yes. You know, at the very very end, you had to dive into the tub and find the the red flag that was in that big tub of stuff. Like or always, when you had to pick the nose, where you had to pick the nose and find <laughs> the go flag. Up and pick the nose, right? For me, my favorite, my favorite Nickelodeon game show. I mean, it's hard. It's a tie between Legends of the Hidden Temple and 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 Guts. Oh, Legends of. See, you're a little. This is where you're. You can show a little your, younger. Yeah, Double yeah. Dare was like my sweet spot, and Legends of the, because that one was like sort that that was just like an Indiana Jones version of Double Dare, right? Like sort of. Kind of. Yeah. You know, the one creepy thing about it, which you will not see at Jasper's, is when they would go through the maze, they would have these quote unquote temple guards that would jump out and, and scare the kids. And it was like a grown man in body paint, like wearing like, nothing. like an eight year old girl. <laughs> know, like it, it seemed problem. It didn't seem problematic at the time, but now it does in hindsight. Go go to Jasper's where go to Jasper's a, where no one will grab you inappropriately. Where no Adult male, na- half naked, body painted, will jump out of a corner to scare your eight year old kid. That will not happen at Jasper's. So, so you can go to Jasper's free of concern and anxiety that that will not that that, that will happen. Because um, frankly, I can't I can't guarantee you that that won't happen downtown on Broadway on New Year's Eve. I can't guarantee. Oh, that it absolutely happens. will most likely happen. <laughs> right. So. so go to Jasper's, everybody. We love Jasper's. Go check out Jasper's and tag them on all your social posts. Take some pictures of your food. All that great stuff. Be that guy, okay? At Jasper's Nash on the Twitters. Go post them there. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Happy New Year's. All right, we'll get into a conversation about uh, fans and taking the bait and grievance and the internet and clickbait and all that good stuff in just a second. Uh, Also, some New Year's Eve resolutions and the winter classic, I believe, on New Year's Day between Minnesota and St. Louis up in what will be negative potentially negative nine degree minneapolis um before we do quickly covid protocols they reinstate the taxi squad there's like different um you know number of days in quarantine like obviously a lot of other leagues are doing this what what do fans need to know adam about these protocols and the impact it's going to have on on hockey moving forward the idea being of course to keep as many games happening as possible right so they reinstituted the taxi squad which we know uh, from last year, just basically that it's basically the NHL version of a practice squad and they can have those players readily available to be recalled in order to minimize the chances that a team has to play shorthanded or games have to be postponed. Um, there is also, um, a clause about the emergency exception in terms of, uh, being able to call up players, this, I think this has to do with cap related issues where a team has to go shorthanded because they don't have any cap space. Um, I believe any player that makes less than a million dollars or up to a million dollars can be recalled under that exception. So you can go the cap friendly and determine which predators players or prospects make a million or less and determine which players would be called up under those circumstances. I don't feel like doing that right now, <laughs> you don't need um, but You know, they've also, as you said, they've modified the COVID-19 protocol based on guidance from the CDC. Um, Here are some of the specifics. I've got the press release in front of me. So if a player tests positive, um, they have to isolate for five days, I think, versus 10 originally, if you're fully vaccinated. Um, 
so that that certainly helps. It will minimize the amount of time that you don't have that you have to sit out, um, which is good, especially based on our previous conversation about what the team looked like without Roman Yossi, um, Colton Sissons, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that's that's good. You know, the one wrinkle in all of this and the NHL spells this out is that, you know, ultimately, I believe uh, the local um the federal and provincial COVID health and safety mandates um, are ultimately, you know, they supersede um, what the NHL yeah. ultimately comes up with. So in that that's the problem. What you see, what the NFL is doing, you see what the NBA is doing. Um, the fact that, you know, Canada's um, isolation requirements are, are stricter by and large um, versus the United States. So even though, you know, here in Nashville, um, that five day rule could work. I think up in Canada, it still remains 10. Um, so that, that sort of leaves, whether it's an unfair advantage to certain teams. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. Um, the point is that the, the, at least the NHL made the decision to, uh, follow, uh, the guidance from the, the CDC, uh, in terms of lessening, um, the isolation time for fully vaccinated individuals. Well, let's hope. Uh, and again, you you've you've said this on the show before. There's one player that's not vaccinated, right? In the NHL, Correct. Tyler Bertuzzi of the Red Wings is the one player who that's is ins- not vaccinated. That's insane, considering how many unvaccinated people there are in all the other leagues. <laughs> it's it's not a lot, but like it's more than one. So, uh, all right, let's 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 get into a, a fan conversation here, which is always my favorite types of conversation because there, there's not I, I the Titans Titans fans. In my opinion, well, let's talk about what brought this on first for okay, those sure. who are in a way. Well, it's 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 been a it's, what brought this on is I, I Logan Ryan, a former Titans player, was making some comments, having a conversation plays for the Giants. Now, the New York Giants, he plays for the Giants. and He was he was having a conversation about like the honor for playing for the Giants and their fans. And like in that conversation, he sort of took a shot and, and you can call it a shot versus just like pointing something out. And he basically said, like, well, I played for a franchise in Tennessee where the fans weren't all that great. We had to beg people to come to games. And, you know, like, I don't think it was malicious. He has apologized. He sent out a tweet basically saying, like, listen, I meant no disrespect. You guys are going to be in the playoffs. I'm going to be sitting at home watching, like kind of making fun of himself about it. Logan Ryan has done a ton of great work in our community. He launched his charity here. He's a very good dude. But by by but as a point of fact, I was at the Derrick Henry game where he ran for 238 yards and had the 99-yard stiff arm where there was a Henry chant at the end of the game. It was It's one of the most important. It was a December game in 2018 with the Titans trying to make the playoffs, and something historic happened, and it was probably half full. So Logan Ryan, while it might have been, you know, he might have been exaggerating with what he said, it, 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 his, he was factually correct that prior to basically 2019 or 2020 even, People were, you know, you had to beg people to go to Titans games. The stadium is a dump. A lot of other fans from other teams want to come to this this uh, this city to, to visit Nashville, which we see for the Preds as well. And so, like, that's kind of how this started. But it's the, it's the next thing in a long line of Titans fans finding grievance about their city and their team everywhere in the Internet, whether it's Keyshawn Johnson for ESPN or a former player like this. The Titans fans are the most sensitive and and most offended fan base trying to gain national respect of any fan base I've ever dealt with in my entire career. And what what I think is that I I don't see that same thread with the Nashville Predators fans because I think they've embraced 
And I don't know if this is Sean Henry or, you know, David Poyle or the front office or what. The counterculture, non-traditional thing, the Predators leaned into that early. And I think that is, like, did, did we have that one moment where, like, the Pittsburgh people were saying that Nashville was piping in sound <laughs> into yes. our arena? Some and we random got all- local news person right. in, in Pittsburgh was saying that the Predators were piping in crowd noise during their home games. at the and, and I was on the air at the time. And my message to people was like, don't take the bait. Who cares what some guy in Pittsburgh has to say about you, which is my message to Titans fans about all this crap. They complain about, Oh, nobody gives us any national media coverage. They don't, they don't care about Derrick Henry. And it's like, guys, like good, smart football. People know exactly how good the Titans are. And we are a small market with a very young fan base, both Predators and Titans. So you have to sort of understand what you are and the Titans will never be a TV draw for the national audience. It's not about how good your team is or is not. They're just not a topic that's going to generate lots of ratings for radio shows and talking heads and whatever. The hockey in general is a sort of count counterculture, non-traditional thing in the South. And so I think the Preds have leaned into that. I don't know what you think, but I don't think the Predators fans do it the same way that the Titans fans do. No, I don't think so. And I mean, of course, you're always going to have certain fans that don't feel like their team is getting the respect that that uh, it deserves. But, you know, think about there's there's a big difference between there's a big difference between. OK, so one thing that's always been an issue with the Titans game day experience is that it sucks basically? Um, <laughs> but the stadiums when, are dumb. Yeah. When so so when I I I was out of town for the past week um, visiting my in laws and Bridget and I got back yesterday Thursday and as I was waiting for our luggage there was a Miami Dolphins fan standing next to me. The Dolphins are in town, of course, to play the Titans on Sunday. When other fans football fans come to Nashville. They're coming to experience the city, basically. That's it. And, and go to the game. But the, the draw of coming to Nashville is Nashville. I feel like the difference with the Predators, the slight difference is that when people make a trip to Nashville for a hockey-related reason, they're going because they want to experience the atmosphere at Bridgestone Arena. Um, of course, it's harder to do that now um, with, with the pandemic. But you know, as you said, you know, the Predators did an excellent job of leaning into uh, the counterculture, you know, to, to borrow your phrase. And that's what made their atmosphere so great. People wanted to be in the building for the atmosphere. People were willing to travel to come to the games to be there for the atmosphere versus versus the Titans where people just come because, hey, it's Nashville and I haven't been there before. Do you understand the, the slight yeah, I, difference I, I, that, I, I'm, that I'm making? Yes, I feel like I, I'm not I, doing I, a great no, job. No, 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 you're, you're doing a great job. You do have to acknowledge, though, that when any visitor from any place comes to go to any event, you know, Vanderbilt football, Vanderbilt basketball, Nashville Predators, Titans, now Nashville SC, they're coming for the city. When, when they when they look at their road team schedule and they go, where do I want to go? They're coming to Nashville because they want to go to Nashville. Does it help that that the environment inside Bridgestone Arena, especially in set in eighteen and nineteen, the two years following the Stanley Cup before the pandemic, where it was extraordinary. It was true, like a President's Trophy team. It was extraordinary. 
And so there is a clear difference between that and going to an NFL game. But I will say that Steelers, Bills, Packers, Chiefs, like these fan bases that travel like crazy, they actually don't, they probably don't care about the stadium itself. Like it's sure it's a bad experience, but we're here for the game and for the city. So like to your point, it helps draw people to Bridgestone arena. Um, I just don't think, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's the difference is that predators fans were so proud of being like the number one building in the NHL for a couple of years. And that never happens. That never, that, that it will, that will never happen for the Titans. Like the national media is never going to do a poll and be like Nissan stadium is a must see on your bucket list of football stadiums. Like it's never going to happen. I, I just, (laughs) do you think it's a Nashville thing too? Like, do you think there's a, it might be. And, and, And one thing that's different, of course, um, between the NFL and the NHL is that the NHL does not dominate conversation in the United States like the NFL does. Right. So whenever uh, the Titans are playing well, as they've had as they had for the last couple of seasons, and you turn on NFL Network or you turn on ESPN or Fox Sports One, and they're not talking about the Titans, you know, it's you know, for example the Titans win a game a couple of weeks ago against the San Francisco 49ers. And the conversation is, is this about the conversation isn't about that was an impressive win by the Tennessee Titans. It's Jimmy Garoppolo sucks. And you know, it's, it's not giving the Titans any sort of credit for the way that they played in that game. It's, you know, let's talk about the, you know, the, the pretty boy quarterback for the other team that sucked really bad, which he did. But it's also, but that's also, it's because because there are, but, but again, you have to understand that's not a, they're making that decision to create that content, not because the Titan, because they disrespect the Titans. It's because the Sanford talking about the San Francisco 49ers quarterback is going to draw more eyes and ears. Right. And I think that's that's all it is. People have to under, people have to understand it's a media decision, not a football decision. Right. I think that's where that grievance comes from though. It's because you're, you know, look, we get we over both it. Work, get, I know get we both it. work in media. So we're more, you know, we, 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 we're more attuned to this thing, to these sorts of things. And I think a lot of fans who consume the media understand that too. But, you know, for example, you know, I remember there was one commenter in particular whose name I can't remember who, when the predators were starting to, to play well, you know, it was before the, the seven game winning streak, but it was when they were exceeding expectations early in the season you know, there was a commenter on a few of my stories, not necessarily pointing the finger at me, but we're, we're you know, remember at the beginning of the season, the, you know, the, the, you know, the consensus was that the Predators were, were not a playoff team, most likely. And then they played like a, a like a, a, a sure thing playoff team. And this commenter was saying, well, ESPN and The Athletic, they're purposely ignoring the Predators because they picked them not to make the playoffs and they don't want to point out the <laughs> fact that they're playing better than they expect, than everybody expected because it would make them look bad. I was like, no, that's not how this works. I'm not ignoring the Predators because I thought they weren't going to make the playoffs. Like, that's just stupid. But, you know, well, I no, think- uh, us being so you will listen to this show. This is how media works, guys. You will listen to this show just as much for us to admit we're wrong than you would to come listen to us, come talk about and gloat about how we were right. It's not about the the predictions being right or wrong. That doesn't draw ratings. Like you don't get ratings because we are right about everything on this podcast. You'll listen to this podcast 
because we pick the right topics to discuss. Like right. that's that is how you'll you, you. And again, I this this is a very standard radio thing. And 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 when you when you hear, and I will I will say this to your point about Bridgestone versus Nissan Stadium. And I do think this is a, another difference. Remember all the national media just glowing about like Barry Melrose and you know what was it Brett Hull? Like I think like there was a lot of people that were just like. Uh, this is like the greatest place we've ever come. You know, now you've got actual, like another franchise in another market actually copying everything they did. Vegas actually copies everything that Nashville does, which is finest, finest form of, of flattery. Right. So I do think there's something more to what you're saying, maybe than I'm, now that I'm thinking through it, where the national media just gushed about Bridgestone arena for like three years. And so maybe that's where Preds fans were just sort of like, no, they, they love us. People love us. And, and in the NFL, it, the Titans are a, they're too small of a market and too young of a fan base. That's it. They just, there's not enough eyes and ears floating around in America to get all the coverage that you want. And, and to your point about the NHL, that just doesn't happen in the NHL at all. <laughs> right. There really is no national hockey conversation, conversation right. in the United States. Now ESPN has done an admirable job of beefing up its hockey content because of course now it has the product. Um, and you know, now, they, now, uh, now that we can discuss, <laughs> right. And how they didn't and, cover the sport for, a, for 15 years. Right. But, and, and that certainly had something to do with the fact that the NHL is not, you know, a huge part of that conversation, but, um, even then, you know, what John Bouchagras says, you know, on his ESPN show, isn't going to, to, you know, to borrow the term, move the needle. Um, you know, it, it takes something like, Trevor Zegris pulling off the move that he did in that game for the Ducks and John Tortorella to say, I think it's bad for the game. And then of course everyone piles on top right, of right. John Tortorella, but it takes something that I don't, I don't, I don't want to say extreme, but it takes something like that viral hockey. It's, it's viral, Adam, right? Viral. That's the, it takes, it takes something like that for the NHL to go viral in, in the conversation to end up on sports center, to end up, on PTI or around the horn or, or right, whatever, right. you know? So, you know, I think, you know, you know, it started for the predators. It started at the 2016 all-star game, which was fabulous all the way around. Um, and then of course the following year, they make the Stanley cup final. And that again was fabulous all the way around from an atmospheric standpoint. And, and that solidified Nashville as that, as that kind of place. And, you know, to your point, Vegas took a lot of the elements that made Nashville special, you know, put the Vegas flair on them. And, and that's what made Vegas special. And then they go to the Stanley cup final in their first year. And everybody says the same things about Vegas. It's a right. great atmosphere, right. blah, 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 blah. So I don't think there's, I don't, I don't feel the same level of, of grievance. You know, it's the holiday season. Every day should be festivus in Nashville because we're just airing our grievances all the time. I know, I know. Um, but we were having, you know, there was a conversation in in you know in Nashville um, about whether or not I, I think it stemmed from uh, the Tennessee Volunteers football Twitter account saying that they were quote unquote Nashville's team, and it turned it turned into a conversation about how much do, does Nashville really pay attention to the Vols and became this whole thing. You know, it's just not like that with hockey, uh, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's, in the, it's, it's, in the it's, United it's, States, you know, in Canada, those conversations happen. Um, you often, you know, 
the, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the most popular team in Canada. And you can certainly hear other fan bases in Canada rolling their eyes about, God, I'm so tired of hearing about Austin Matthews. Yeah, and they, they are, that, that would be the Dak Prescott of our world. That, that, that Austin Matthews is Dak Prescott, right? Like good or bad, you're going to hear Cowboys talk because they're the Cowboys, because guess what? People care about the Cowboys. <laughs> like that's, that, that's all that, that's, that's the difference here. I, I will say, um, I, you know, the Tennessee thing, Nashville, and we can go in like, again, Predators games just to, to and this is not an insult to, to Nashville Predators hockey or to hockey fans or, or to whatever. But when you look at Tennessee volunteer TV ratings, you're talking about, you know, 100,000, 150,000 TV homes watch a Tennessee volunteer game. Predators games don't even rate. Like they're not even like they're you're you're talking forty fifty thousand people maybe watching, uh, and then when they when they make the playoffs, that's when they start to get those 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 higher ratings where they. Well, go it up. doesn't help that how many people can't watch Predators no, games. No, because no question. Valley. So, but but again, you get over tens. Ten is again each rating points about a hundred thousand about ten thousand TV homes. So if you get to a ten, you're at about a hundred thousand households in Nashville watching you, and that is that's a they'll do bigger than those numbers for the playoffs basically but it takes playoff games for the predators to get to that level where tennessee old miss is over that number tennessee alabama is over that number you know titans are in the 25s to 28s like the titans pull three almost three hundred thousand tv households every single sunday watching their games so so i'm looking at just just for just for we can move on i want to say this though about ratings because i just pulled up a press release from nbc sports from June of 2017, and this about the about the Stanley Cup final, and this is the headline: 2017 Stanley Cup final is most watched final on record without an original six team. Like that's how there they had. Go. That's how they had to. That's how they had to 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 uh, shape the conversation. And by the way, the the average rank the, the average rating over the course of the Stanley Cup final in Nashville was 22. Yeah, they they but in Pittsburgh it was thirty two. Well, and twenty two is a phenomenal number. Like that's a huge number for a hockey game. Like incredible number in Nashville for a hockey game. But now you've touched on two things that that are different between the Predators and the Titans. One is the game day atmosphere w- w- is significantly better, but also it was so new and fresh. Nobody had seen this Smashville thing before on a national level. So when you were interested in hockey and the hockey fans did finally come out and watch in at the Stanley cup final Nashville delivered on that. And where the, where it's probably not, those are two things that hurt the Titans, right? Like you, you're going to see a stadium that's sort of dumpy and bad, but also like people nationally aren't as interested in watching the Titans play football in a playoff game as they, as hockey fans were to watch the predators and maybe that's because they they were new, right? The Predators, it was the first time they had gotten to that situation. I think that you could, a lot could be said about the Titans in the, in the early, like in 99, when they go to the Super Bowl. I think people were like, oh, this Titans thing is a new new thing. They've also not really been a pretty football team. They're not a high-flying football team at any point. Yeah, they're, they're not the Chiefs. You know, they don't have right. Patrick Mahomes throwing ridiculous passes all over the place. Where the Preds, you know, especially the next year, in, in 18 as a president's trophy team was score. They were like one of the highest scoring teams in the league. They, they were one of the best offenses in the NHL. So, all right, we've, we've beaten this topic to death. Here's my message for predators fans. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't go, don't seek out grievance on the internet and don't take the bait. That's, that's our, those are our new year's. Uh, I don't want to call them resolutions, Adam. Let's call them intentions because 
a resolution implies that there's like a pass fail element and psychologists will tell you, you don't, you don't want to set yourself up for failure. So new year's Eve, new year's intentions. Don't take the bait. Don't seek out grievance because grievance right now is like all that happens in politics. It's all yes. that happens. It's all that happens in media and it's all that happens with the Titans fans. So predators, people we're better than that. Let's just be better than that. All right. Let's winter on. classic talk. Let's go. Minnesota, St. Louis, um, they're having to install heaters to keep the ice warm. I just found that sentence to be fascinating because it is, (laughs) wait a second, the ice is too cold. So they're having to install, this is at Target Field where the Twins play in Minnesota, Minnesota and St. Louis on New Year's Day. It is supposed to be between negative three and negative nine degrees and will be the coldest outdoor hockey game on record. If that happens, the coldest one, I believe, was the Heritage Classic back in 03 with Montreal and somebody else at Edmonton. like Edmonton, right at like zero degrees. It was so, zero degrees Fahrenheit whew. at Puck Drop. Um, the warmest game ever was 62 degrees at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. So in theory, Adam, we could have the coldest outdoor game of in, in NHL history coming up on New Year's Day in Minneapolis. And then in late February in Nashville, we could tr- probably challenge that 62 degree temperature for the warmest ho- outdoor hockey game ever in the history of the NHL. I think that would well, be an interesting storyline. To clarify, because I just found this as I was looking through all of these numbers, the warmest outdoor game on record was the 2016 Stadium Series game in Denver, of all places, between the Red Wings and Avalanche a puck drop temperature of 65 degrees. Oh, you lied to me pre-show. I think we were talking about winter classics versus outdoor oh, games okay, in general. Okay. okay, sorry. So so the previous, so so that was, so yeah, so the highest temperature is 65 degrees. The We could the, challenge that, Adam. In, the, um, in February, February 26th, we could, we could challenge that. The, uh, the puck drop temperature at the Cotton Bowl Winter Classic, which was two years ago tomorrow, hard to believe, uh, was 55 degrees in Dallas that day. It's pretty warm. So, um, so yes, I think the Predators, I mean, especially when you look at the weather in Nashville over the past week or so, it's been in the 70s. I know that there's a cold front moving in and it'll get awful cold over the weekend. Um, we, we, but, we've had snow in February and we've had 70 degrees in February. There's really well, no last February. wasn't that when that ice storm hit yeah, this past it was, February. Yep. It was yeah. early. It was early February. And uh, that's when it was like 28 degrees and sunny and the kids were playing outside. And it was great. Generally, it, it actually does. It comes later. Like we have really mild and warm Decembers and then it does come generally in February. So there's a chance it's pretty cold, but there's also a chance it's pretty hot. So I just... So it'll, be, it'll, it'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch, though, I think, to see. I was going to ask you that. Do you think the winter class, especially because it's been, well, last year they played the game at Lake Tahoe, right? And that was beautiful. Uh, fans weren't in attendance at those games, obviously. But the, uh, was it the, it was the Golden Knights. Was it the Golden Knights in the Avalanche last yeah. year yeah. at Lake Tahoe? It was, it was beautiful. And it, it led to one of the best media moments of the year. Uh, when uh, Pierre Edouard Belmar, now of the Tampa Bay Lightning, but previously of the Avalanche, was talking about how he thought they were actually going to skate on Lake Tahoe. And Andre <laughs> Burakovsky, who was sitting next to him, was like, no, dude, like it's on the golf course. That. I forgot. He about was that. really upset about it. And we all had to feel for him. Um, but do you think <laughs> pretty, that, pretty hard to freeze a lake that big? <laughs> right. But do you think like, do you think the novelty of the Winter Classic is still there? Like, do you like, is, do you think that people, 
Let's, I, I, talking, I think, we're talking about hockey fans, right? I think hockey fans, like I'm going to watch it tomorrow. The Predators play in the afternoon and then that game is on in the evening. So I, I'm sure I'll have it on. I, um, I, I think there, it need, there needs to be a hook. And for me, this particular matchup, this game, the hook is the temperature. Mm-hmm. Like for me, but I like the like the Lake Tahoe thing. I started thinking like when I saw this article and I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be negative nine degrees. I started thinking like this is the way kids like up in these small Saskatchewan towns, like out an outdoor rink, like or the Alaska t- teams, like these these like junior teams that play in like, you know, snow flurries and negative degree temperatures because that's how they grow up playing. I want to see some of that. I w- I'd love to see like an outdoor like just makeshift rink that's thrown together in the middle of a small town in like, you know, Ontario, like where it's just, you know, beautiful mountains or wilderness. And then, you, you know, this is where this one small town hockey team always plays or whatever, you know, does that make sense? Like, I want to see like the hockeyville thing that they do during yeah. the preseason. Yeah, but, like, after, but instead of playing a preseason game there, you would want them to play an outdoor game there. And, th- and there would need to be the, it would need to be the right place. I don't, I'm not familiar enough with, you know, the northern We're territory, the northern territory, town, Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar enough, like where that would be, but like Lake Tahoe, fine, like Banff. I don't know, like Banff would be a really unbelievable yes, place to see to see a hockey game. So, just find one of those things that really goes back to the roots of the game, where the game comes from, where kids play, and then give me like crazy weather. You know, give me like a snowstorm <laughs> and like, you know, 18 degrees, and I think that's the hook playing an outdoor game in like Dodger stadium or the cotton bowl. Like it, it was cool. Cause we were Preds fans, but I, I don't know. I, I do think the novelty is wearing off a little bit. Um, but I think if you can find interesting and unique ways to hook people in like Lake Tahoe did with the visual scenery, I, I thought they did a great job with that game. And I watched it because of, because of the visuals. So right. um, I think there needs to be a hook that that would be my, my response to you. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, you know, it's not like you know. Remember the first Winter Classic, the the game in Buffalo against uh, the Penguins and the Sabers, um, like they had the snow globe, you know, aesthetic going on. I think that was at Ralph Wilson Stadium, uh, you know that that was the perfect setting, you know, for the first um, for the first Winter Classic. And uh, you know, there is novelty, like you know what was what was great about you know what, what here's what Fenway, Fenway Park is a hook, right? So like. So the game that the Predators were in against the Stars, it was the largest crowd for an outdoor game, 85,000 plus. Um, and, and you know, that was my first time to the Cotton Bowl. You know, it's, they did a really great a, it's job. A, it's a dumpy stadium. It's a dumpy I know, stadium. but they did a really great job of, you know, putting the Texas State Fair aesthetic around it. And they had the pig races and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if I recall correctly, it was the least watched winter classic ever. Yep. Just because it's Nashville and Dallas in Dallas and it's not, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not a hook, but you, yeah. you know, you've got Minnesota, which is a hockey crazed market, as we know, and St. Louis is a solid hockey market in its own right. You know, this was the game I think that was supposed to happen last year or, you know, or you know, before the, before it was, uh, you know, the pandemic, you know, before the season started late and they had to scrap it. So perhaps that helps too. Like this game has been a couple of years in the making now yeah. um, because of the pandemic. Um, but you're right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm most interested in the visuals that they will inevitably have of all of these fans, you know, in, in layers, um, you know, yeah. I want the it, breath, com- the breath coming out of the coach on the bench. 
Right. Well, the players are all on the bench coming off of a shift and seeing all the, the hot air coming out of the players. Like, that's going to be – that, that'll be a fun visual. So um, there's got to be a good hook there. All right, Adam, we've, we've blathered on enough here for your New Year's, New Year's holiday. Um, hope everybody has a safe amateur hour on Friday night. You got Chicago on Saturday. Then the Preds are at Vegas on Tuesday, at the Kings on Thursday, at Arizona on Saturday. So uh, West West Western road swing here for the Preds next week. So we'll be back next week to, to break it all down for you guys. Um, obviously, Adam, pay for good journalism. All the good folks out there, go to The Athletic, pay for good journalism. And where should they go if they want to drink some champagne on New Year's Day and watch, uh, watch the Predators? They should go to Jasper's. That is correct. $5 champagne all day Friday and Saturday. Go to Jasper's no parking no you don't have to worry about battling all those downtown crowds you get great drink specials you can watch the bowl games you can watch the playoff games you can watch the Predators with fantastic drink and food specials and order yourself a gold standard cocktail and never pay for parking go to Jasper's everybody thank you guys all for listening of course have a great New Year's Eve celebration be safe at Adam Vingan on Twitter at Braden Gall on Twitter at 440 Sports on Twitter as well Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.